Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be your host for the next hour of education, information, hopefully entertainment. I'm always trying to find something interesting for you because I know that if you want if you want the normal stuff, you can pretty much get that anywhere. So I'm here to give you the interesting stuff when I can. And I think today is definitely one of those times. We are in the middle of tax season, which is always exciting for me. I look forward to it. It's always nice to fill the coffers a little bit, as they would say. And I get to see people that some of them I only see once a year. So once a year I get to see them, and it's kind of fun to uh, just stay in touch and hopefully save them some tax, maybe get them a refund if they've paid in a little too much. One thing that came up today I thought I'd share. I'm not sure how many of you have already done solar panels on your house or maybe you're thinking of doing solar panels for the getting the solar credit, which is part of the decision of doing the panels, is the solar tax credit. A couple of things to watch out for with the solar credit is Make sure you have enough regular federal tax liability every year to absorb the credit. The carry forward used to be for only the current year of the year you install the solar and then one more year. But I believe, uh, don't quote me on this, if you have particular questions you need to call because I have to look all this up. Now that they've extended the credit, I believe the credit now carries forward through 2022 The problem that I've seen in the past, some clients have called me after they've installed their system and they said, I just did a solar system for $30,000, so I get $9,000 back, right? And I look at their income tax return and I see that their federal liability might only be $1,000 or $2,000 of regular federal tax. I have to tell them, no, you'll get whatever your federal tax liability is will be wiped out up to 9000 and you'll carry forward the remainder. So if they only have a liability of $1,000 each year, they would use that 1000 in one year, and then the 8000 left over from the $9,000 credit would carry forward, and then they would use 1000 a year for a couple of years, and then it ends, and they never get to use the whole credit. I always encourage people to make sure that before they commit to a solar panel installation on their home, make certain that you have a large enough federal tax liability that you will get the advantage of the credit. It's just some people aren't aware of that before they sign on the dotted line, as they say. So the credit amount percentage, the percentage of the credit changed. So anybody who did a solar panel system on their home in 2019 and got it completed by the end of 2019 and up and running gets a 30% tax credit. That credit is down to 26%. The problem I'm seeing with more than one client is that the solar company promised them they would have it done by the end of 2019 to get them that 30% credit and they didn't they weren't able to get it done for the customer 
Now the customer in a couple of cases is asking them to reimburse them the difference between the 30% credit for 2019 and the fact that the 2020 year credit is what the one they're going to get is 26%. The companies are just going to have to reimburse the customers for that. So the person I talked to today it sounds like their credit was probably based on a $30,000 system. 30% would have been 9,000. 26% since the company didn't get it done in time will end up being 7,800, which is the 30,000 times 26%. So the company's going to owe them $1,200. What I didn't mention because it gets too complicated and interest rates aren't that high these days. The other problem, if you haven't guessed it already, if they had have got it done by the end of 2019, this taxpayer would have got the $9,000 credit within the next month or two. The 26% credit that the customer is going to be entitled to because the solar panel system isn't done till 2020, that credit they won't see until next year, a year from now, and it's a $7,800 credit. My point is, and you may have figured out where I was going with that, not only is the company liable for the $1,200, but whatever rate you want to put on it, they're liable for a year's worth of interest or opportunity cost of not having the money now instead of a year from now. The fact that interest rates are so low, and we've talked about that on Business Buzz so many times, I think you're well aware of that mess. The fact that interest rates are so low, there really isn't a big argument for much interest on $1,200 for a year these days. But still, it's, it seems to me that the solar companies were in such a hurry to sign everybody up for systems in this year where the credit was the highest, which is 30%, it seems like they were so interested in signing everyone up, they didn't take into account the fact that they could not either, one, get the materials that they needed, and that happened with one of my clients who was getting a battery system installed. The companies either couldn't get the materials by the end of the year, or they couldn't get the labor and the job done with all these jobs they were pushing they couldn't get everybody to all the job sites to get them all done. That sort of leads into what I'm going to talk about today, which is Business Buzz likes to talk about anything business or investment or alternative news or the other side of the story. So today I was going to be I'm going to be talking about China. I would guess that some of this solar problem may have been caused by the fact that the supplies and the materials are coming from China. I can't remember when this virus thing started, but I'm going to talk about that in a little while today. Not sure if that has anything to do with it, but I'll bet it'll have something to do with supplies in 2020 because if these panels are being manufactured in China, China's having a big problem with the virus thing, keeping people from work and keeping things closed over there. That 
could be a reason why these solar guys couldn't get all the materials by the end of the year, but I'm not sure. I think they just booked so many jobs that they had everybody signed up to get the 30% credit. And of course they promised everyone, Oh, we'll get it done by the end of the year. But they had so many jobs, they couldn't get them done. What I've noticed is that one of the solar company people called me. One of my clients is in the middle of this issue where they didn't get it done on time and now they're going to have to refund her credit. He wanted me to send him an email about my position on whether the credit is allowable in part because their job was partly done. I went ahead and spent time this morning looking that up just because, number one, I wanted to help this client and this company who's probably going to be paying out a difference of that $1,200 difference. I also wanted to do it because I enjoy researching tax stuff. And I know I had looked it up in the past. And the rule is you don't get to claim the credit on a home solar credit unless the work was completed by the end of the year. This man from the solar company was insinuating that some of his other clients had had tax guys saying, oh, we can do a percentage based on how far along it is. I hadn't heard that, and I know the last time I looked up the residential solar energy credit, it had to be finished that same year. That made me want to do a little research today to find this out, not only for the client's benefit and this company's knowledge, but I wanted to know also, because I know this subject is going to come up more often as I see more people during this tax season. I looked it up. I was right. It hadn't changed. Commercial solar credits, which work a little differently, commercial solar credits are allowed since, I believe, 2018 to do a partial credit if the work is contracted for before the year's over and a percentage has already been done. The IRS rule specifically excludes residences from claiming the solar credit before, if unless the work is finished by the end of that year. That's the pickle some of these solar, sounds like a lot of these solar companies are in. It sounds like they promised to have the equipment all done by the end of 2019 to get everyone their 30% credit. So they had them sign on the dotted line, and it turns out they couldn't get the work done for whatever reason. That's enough for tax news today. I wanted to dive in a little bit to, I know I talked about a show or two ago, I talked about the business of medicine. And we talked about, we talked quite a bit about vaccines and vaccine court. The fact that if a child is injured by a vaccine, you can't go to regular court. You have to go to a vaccine court. And it was a, it was kind of messy, but I I told you about that on a show a couple of weeks ago, I think. So today we're going to go back to the subject of medicine because it ties in with a lot of interesting things, and I just had to share this. So the first article I wanted to talk about 
is from the New York Times, dated, I think it's dated today. No, I'm sorry. It's dated about a week ago. It's dated February 10th, 2020. And it says, like Europe in medieval times, virus slows China's economy. Workers can't return to their jobs as supply lines get snarled, extending the forced holiday and fracturing the country. So I'll just, I'm going to just kind of breeze over this a little bit. Workers are stuck in their hometowns. Officials want detailed health plans before factories and offices can reopen. Assembly lines that make General Motors cars and Apple iPhones are standing silent. More than two weeks after China locked down a major city to stop a dangerous viral outbreak, one of the world's largest economies remains largely idle. Much of the country was supposed to have reopened by now, but its empty streets, quiet factories, and legions of inactive workers suggest that weeks or months could pass before this vital motor of global growth is humming again. The global economy could suffer the longer China stays in low gear. It has been hampered by both the outbreak and its own containment efforts, a process that, is, that has cut off workers from their jobs and factories from their raw materials. The result is a slowdown that is already slashing traffic amongst the world's shipping lines and leading to forecasts of a sharp fall in production of everything from cars to smartphones. Pay attention to what I just said, and uh, I may revisit that exact little paragraph later, but I'm going to... We're going to delve into this Chinese viral thing a little bit. I'm also going to delve into a theory I have about it, which shouldn't surprise you that I've got one. Anyway, I want to read a little more. Uh, It's like Europe in medieval times, where each city has its checks and cross-checks. New figures show the authorities still have a long way to go before the outbreak can be tamed. On Tuesday, they reported a milestone. And then it goes into numbers about the overall deaths, and then it shows a picture of people lining up with the masks on their face. On Monday, a team from World Health Organization landed in Beijing to battle the coronavirus. I'm just setting this up because I've got a couple more articles to read that are all kind of interrelated. Chinese health officials have been encouraged. We're going to come up on break number one real soon here. Chinese health officials have been encouraged that the pace of recoveries among victims has outpaced deaths for more than a week. The rate of infection, however, has continued to soar, suggesting the worst is still to come. Now, from what I know, and I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on television, so don't quote me, it doesn't seem like this is 100% fatal at all. But I haven't read that much about the medical side of this. But I'm going to talk about the business side. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back after the break. Life 101. The basic rules for getting by and moving ahead in life. Change is one of the toughest things for us to deal with. We like things familiar, comfortable, predictable, and in control. But experts tell us those things that we love so much can poison our dreams for moving ahead. Sometimes life will force us to change. A crisis, a job loss, an economic downturn. It makes us uncomfortable, to say the least. But years after those things happened, most people say it actually motivated them to make dramatic and positive changes in their lives. But why wait for life to force change? Start today. 
By reading the Bible, you'll begin to see how God worked change in the lives of some of the greatest people who ever lived. And those stories will begin to change who you are. And changing who you are as a person will be the beginning of positive change in your life. The main thing holding you back is resisting changing who you are. Too many people launch out to achieve their dreams before they really change themselves. John Maxwell said, we cannot achieve our wildest dreams by remaining who we are. Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM. Two Nicks. That's right, double Nicks. Nick Guy, Private Eye, and Mr. Nick of We Kids. Must be true. Saturday mornings between 9 and 10 here on KK Nick Snacks. John Fuller here, and I'd encourage you to tune in weekdays at 7.30 for Focus on the Family with Jim Daly, right here on Life Radio KKXX. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA, on a lovely winter tax season day. Trying to get into this. It's just an interesting thing, this whole Wuhan thing. So I'm going to just, I'm just kind of skimming through this. I want to reiterate that paragraph that I said earlier because it's going to kind of come into play with what I'm going to talk about later here. The global economy could suffer the longer China stays in low gear. The result is a slowdown that is already slashing traffic along the world's shipping lines and leading to forecasts of a sharp fall in production of everything from cars to smartphones. And then a little later in the article it mentions Apple iPhone production, which is heavily concentrated in China, could drop by 10% in the first three months. So there's all these businesses are shutting down or slowed down. The packaging industry isn't working, so everything's going to hit a kind of a bottleneck. So that was the first article. Uh, I'm going to give you a little hint to where I'm going with this. Where I'm going with this is there's a chance, and this is just a theory, could it be that these central banks and everybody who actually runs everything actually know for a fact that the world economy is headed for a huge slowdown and this virus is a perfect scapegoat to blame something other than all the debt and all the spending and all the things I've been talking about on Business Buzz for the last couple years. That's kind of where I'm going with this. So I'm going to read a couple other articles, not the whole thing. So that's where I'm going. So it's just very convenient now that they they now have a scapegoat for the world economy slowing down, which it's been doing anyway. In fact, when it mentions here that the shipping, uh, what does it say? The s- traffic along the world shipping lines, well, I've been talking on Business Buzz for over a year about how the shipping rates are at all-time lows because demand is so low and business is just slow everywhere around the world. So that fits in with the fact that this could be a scapegoat thing. Now, the next article I'm going to read is from my favorite news feed called ZeroHedge.com. It's dated Saturday, February 15. And the title is Smoking Gun. Chinese scientist finds killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. 
The uncertainty and the debate over the origins of the coronavirus pandemic are growing with each passing day. One week after the White House asked scientists to finally investigate whether the COVID-19 virus was bioengineered, i.e. created in a lab, none other than CNBC jumped on the bandwagon and echoing a similar question by Senator Tom Cotton, and of course Zero Hedge, said maybe the coronavirus was man-made. All this is taking place as the mainstream media, whose purpose is similar to that of Beijing in minimizing public concerns and panic, even if it means fabricating reality, presses on with the popular theory that the virus emerged from the Huanan seafood market in Wuhan. We recently showed while this appears very unlikely. While branding anyone who suggests that the coronavirus might have originated as a bioweapon developed in a secretive Wuhan lab as deranged conspiracy theorist, Indeed, just today, the uh, Financial Times reported that Trevor Bedford of the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle rubbished stories circulating on social media that COVID-19 was created at Wuhan Institute of Virology or elsewhere in China. Bedford is, of course, entitled to his opinion, which was only reinforced by the lack of any dissenting views from the scientific community, especially in Ground Zero China. That now has changed, however, with what may be a smoking gun report first noted by Harvard to the big house from a scientist at the prestigious South China University of Technology in Gangzhou, China, a preprint published by Botan Zhao and Li Ziao. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing these names. They're spelled with X's, and I'm just not familiar with the, how to pronounce those. Titled, quote, The Possible Origins of 2019 NCOV Coronavirus, whose abstract is the following. The 2019 NCOV has caused an epidemic of 28,000 laboratory-confirmed infections in humans, including 564 deaths in China by February 6, 2020. Two descriptions of the virus published on Nature this week indicated that the genome sequences from patients were almost identical to the BAT-COV-ZC45 coronavirus. It was critical to study where the pathogen came from and how it passed on to humans. An article published on The Lancet reported that 27 of 41 infected patients were found to have contact with the Huanan seafood market in Wuhan. We noted two laboratories conducting research on VAT coronavirus in Wuhan, one of which was only 280 meters from the seafood market. We briefly examined the histories of the laboratories and proposed that the coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory. Our proposal provided an alternative origin of the coronavirus in addition to natural recombination and intermediate host, and an especially ominous conclusion. In summary, somebody was entangled with the evolution of 2019 NCOV coronavirus. In addition to origins of natural recombination and intermediate host, the killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. Who is Bo Tao and should anyone listen to him? Well, yes, this is what we find about the research group of the Harvard postdoc. The Zhao group study mainly in the fields of cellular and molecular biomechanics. So anyway, that, that goes on to kind of vouch for the fact that this is not just some, this is not some, you know, junior high schooler in a science lab at, at junior high school. It's a real, 
It's a real uh, lab guy. It says, but what is far more interesting and important is that the paper was supported by China's National Natural Science Foundation, which means that the paper would likely never see the light of day if someone in Beijing did not stand again politically by endorsing the contrarian theory that a Wuhan biolab was indeed the source of the infection. Which begs the question, is China's political elite set to change the narrative it has been spinning since day one about the origins of the coronavirus? And in order to appease an increasingly angry population, point the finger to one or more scientists at the Wuhan Center for Disease Control? Perhaps even the same scientists we highlighted two weeks ago, and led to, and led to, which led to our Twitter ban. And just by the way, they're referring to the fact that Zero Hedge, the place where I love to get all my daily news, got banned from Twitter after they announced something like that about the Wuhan lab uh, virus. So anyway, this is a, uh, there's a little bit more to this, but like I say, it's, uh, it basically is insinuating that there's a good chance that this whole virus was concocted in a lab. And anyway, there's a lot of references. So that was the second little part of my medical business, business of medicine news today. And like I say, if you want to look it up, it's, it's at zerohedge.com, and it starts. The title starts with the word "smoking gun," so you can find it real easy if you have a, have an internet connection. So those two articles were interesting, combined with my little conspiracy theory that it's possible that the people who created all this debt and all this global uh, craziness that we have with negative interest rates and bailout money going in the trillions to various banks since 2008. Could it be that they need a scapegoat for the decline of the world economy and they can blame something other than themselves, who, by the way, have gotten very rich in the process? So that was my theory. Now, I have one more article I wanted to touch on for the medical news today. It's again from uh, Zero Hedge is where I found it. It's an actually an article from a place called greatgameindia.com. The title of this article is Wuhan 400 Coronavirus, 1981 novel predicts virus origin. It says, in a bizarre coincidence, a 1981 fictional novel, The Eyes of Darkness by Dean Kuntz, predicts a coronavirus-like outbreak and its origin. The book talks about how the virus called Wuhan 400 was... Oh, this is our second break. I'll be right back after the break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. Don't go anywhere. Have you ever said that things seem so out of control? In our country, in the world, and in your personal life, it can seem like everything's out of control. But according to the Bible, our circumstances are controlled by the purpose of God. David Hawking reminds us that God's purpose reigns no matter what. This week on Hope for Today. Tune in for Hope for Today, weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. What's it all about? 
This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the award-winning magazine for the family called Answers. Genesis chapter 19 records the account of Sodom, a city destroyed because of its sin, including the sin emphasized in this chapter, homosexual behavior. But some Christians argue that homosexuality is not what the chapter's talking about. They'll say it's some other sin, like a lack of hospitality. But Christians throughout history have always recognized homosexual behavior as part of the sin of Sodom. And those who argue that it's not one of Sodom's sins are only doing so because they don't want to believe and obey what the Bible clearly teaches. It's just another version of the old attack, did God really say? We need to stand on God's Word. Plan your visit to the life-size Noah's Ark in Northern Kentucky at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com. I am a veteran. I spent two years alone and homeless. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. My victory was finding the support to get back on my feet. DAV helps veterans of every generation get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran. When I got out, I felt like nowhere was safe. So veterans can reach victories, great and small. My victory was finding the help I needed. Thanks to DAV, now I feel like I'm human again. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, taking a break from a busy tax season to try to share a little information and always the always the other side of the story. So let me just continue with my quick little article about the 1981 novel. Uh, in a bizarre coincidence, the 1981 fictional novel, The Eyes of Darkness by Dean Koontz, and I know he's a major author, predicts a coronavirus-like outbreak and its origin. The book talks about how the virus called Wuhan 400 was developed in military labs around the Chinese city of Wuhan from where it's got its name. The top-secret information of the biological weapons program was later acquired by U.S. intelligence from a Chinese defector. The American military is ultimately successful in creating a vaccine which the Chinese could not. The Eyes of Darkness is a thriller novel by American writer Dean Koontz released in 1981. The book focuses on a mother who sets out on a quest to find out if her son truly did die one year ago or if he is still alive. A mother sends her son on a camping trip with a... This is the plot. A mother sends her son on a camping trip with a leader who has led this trip into the mountains 16 times before without mishap. That is, until this time. Every single camper and leader and driver die with no explanation. As the grieving mother, who is the protagonist, begins to accept the fact that her son Danny is dead, she starts getting vicious bully-like attacks from nowhere, saying he is not dead, such as writing on chalkboards, words from printers, and other various signs. Along with her new friend, Christina sets out to find out what could have possibly happened on the day that her son, quote, died. To understand that you have to go back 20 months, it was around then that a Chinese scientist named Li Chen defected to the United States. And this is just a little bit more about this uh, fictional book from 1981. Wuhan 400 is a perfect weapon. It afflicts only human beings. 
No other living creature can carry it. Wuhan 400 can't survive outside a living human body for longer than a minute, which means it can't permanently contaminate objects or entire places. The Chinese could use Wuhan 400 to wipe out a city or a country, and then there wouldn't be any need for them to conduct a tricky and expensive decontamination. So this is sort of an anti, it's kind of a, this book sort of knocks the Chinese, but it says, uh, the Chinese test, anyway, so I just wanted to point out that there was actually a novel in 1981 that pretty much predicted something very similar to a Wuhan deadly virus uh, being, being manufactured in China. Very interesting. So in, in my little Wuhan story here today, I'm just trying to say that it's not necessarily what we think it is. I don't know what it is. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a journalist. I don't spend a lot of time on this. All I can say is that it's very convenient when, if and when the world economy starts slowing down, it would be very convenient for the people who created all the monetary problems that I've been talking about on Business Buzz forever. It would be very convenient if they had a scapegoat for the slowdown. And this Chinese thing is definitely going to be problematic when I think it's the second largest economy in the world just by volume of doll of volume of money run through that economy. If that whole economy is basically stopped with this virus, like it is right now, it's not a hundred percent stopped, but it's super very much, uh, probably 75% slowed down and slow to get back running. There's no doubt that that would be a good way to blame something else on the problems that our economy is likely going to have based on the based on the things that I've been uh, talking about on Business Buzz now for quite a long time. I have one other article I wanted to share today and it's it's called it's about silver my favorite investment. I think everybody should have part of their money in physical gold and silver, especially silver. And if I if I haven't explained why silver looks to be better than gold right now, I'll remind you that there's a thing called the gold-silver ratio. Historically, it's been about 15 to 1. In other words, you could buy 15 ounces of silver for each one ounce of gold price-wise. Right now, it's at around 90 to 1, which means one ounce of gold can buy 90 ounces of silver. That's why if you're debating if you want to put a little bit of money into precious metals and you're debating which one to buy, I recommend silver to start because right now silver is very inexpensive in relation to the historical uh, gold to silver ratio, which normally should be around 15 to one. It did get as low as 30 to one back in 2011, but now it's back up to 90 to one. So this is definitely a time to, to buy silver instead of gold. And I also wanted to point out that I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on Business Buzz. If you want to see what a precious metals market that's gotten away from the handlers looks like, you can look at the charts of palladium and rhodium. I talked about it a couple months ago here, and rhodium had hit 4,000 an ounce, and I was kind of excited about that because it's like, oh, there's a precious metal that's going up when 
silver doesn't, and gold really doesn't. Well, now palladium's uh, buy price, if you want to buy an ounce, it's $11,300 right now. It's at an all-time high, and like I say, if you want to see what a precious metal looks like when they lose control of the paper markets, just take a look at palladium and rhodium. I can't say when, but that will happen to gold and silver also. I just don't know when. But that's good news for you because you have time to buy some. So I've got a, a quick article here. It's dated, it's actually, it's actually last spring. It's dated in 2019. It's a U.S. silver production at the lowest level in more than 70 years. Uh, and it's from uh, silverseek.com, and the guy's name is Steve St. Angelo. And said, unfortunately, there just aren't too many economic silver deposits in the United States, especially with the high level of environmental and government regulations. Instead of dealing with all the bureaucracy, companies are looking to Mexico and South America to open new silver projects. Regardless, U.S. silver production declined by more than 100 metric tons in 2018, or 10%, mainly due to the ongoing closure of the Lucky Friday mine in Idaho. The Lucky Friday mine has been shut down ever since the United States Steelworkers went on strike on March 13, 2017. However, the drop-off in silver mine supply can't all be blamed on the Lucky Friday mine. Domestic silver production has been trending lower for the past two decades. In 2000, the U.S. produced 63.7 million ounces, which is 1,980 metric tons of silver, compared to just 29.7 million ounces in 2018. Thus, U.S. silver production has fallen by more than 50% in less than two decades. Silver production in the U.S. ramped up significantly during the 1990s due to the McCoy Cove silver mine in Nevada. At its peak, the McCoy Cove mine supplied 20% of the total U.S. silver production. Uh, I don't have a chart of U.S. silver mine supply over the last 100 years, but I checked the U.S. Geological Survey data, and in 1946, the country produced only 713 metric tons of silver. Interesting, while silver production had declined due to the war focusing its efforts on other strategic metal mining, the significant drop-off in 1946 was also due to mine strikes at base metal mines and smelters. Because most silver is a byproduct of base metal mining, the strikes had a profound impact on overall production. So even though the shutdown of the Lucky Friday mine reduced U.S. silver production by 3 to 4 million ounces, it doesn't account for the addition, additional 30 million ounces lost since 2000. At some point, Americans will become aware of the monetary properties of gold and silver. However, when they finally do, domestic silver mine supply will likely not be enough to satisfy the demand. So that's just a, a little bit of a warning that uh, silver production is actually lower than it used to be. And, of course, silver industrial use is higher, especially with things like all the solar panels. There's so many things that get, uh, they get silver gets used in that it's, it's definitely going to become a rare commodity. So I, like, I always like to bring that up. In, uh, there's an interesting, uh, one of my favorite authors, 
who you heard of many times here on Business Buzz, Egon von Greyers, he even start he mentions the coronavirus, says the catalyst for the coming market and debt collapse could be a number of events in the if the coronavirus virus doesn't miraculously stop spreading soon, it could very likely be the trigger for the world economy coming to a halt. And then he goes on to talk about how the Chinese government has been minimizing the figures to not scare people. And it says that he says the Chinese economy is also on lockdown. Over 65% of the Chinese economy is shut down. More than 80% of the manufacturing industry is closed and 90% of the export industry. He says, we must remind ourselves that the Chinese economy is 17% of the world economy. And any shutdown of the manufacturing engine of the world will have serious repercussions for the rest of the world. Also, Chinese debt has exploded. It was $2 trillion at the beginning of this century and is now $42 trillion. As the coronavirus crisis spreads, a major part of this debt is likely to turn into junk. And then he goes on to say, global QE, which is quantitative easing, will flood markets with worthless money. I've read this to you before from him. I'm not going to go through that all over again. The bottom line is that in the world right now, all of the major central banks are printing and buying, they're buying the debt. And that's how they're keeping interest rates low, but that's not a good thing in the long run because there's really no one else buying these uh, debt instruments like bonds. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back on Business Buzz. Your marriage needs a good laugh. And on the next Focus on the Family, Ted Cunningham will help you discover your humor muscle and learn to flex it. He's got some great stories from his own marriage and talks about the language of comedy and applying that to everyday life with your spouse. Learn about the benefits of laughter, the best medicine for your marriage, next time on Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family, weekday mornings at 7.30 here on Life Radio, KKXX. We are ending blindness caused by age-related macular degeneration, or AMD. AMD is the leading cause of blindness in people over 55, but with treatment, we can save vision for people with AMD. In some cases, we can reverse it. Help end blindness by calling the Foundation Fighting Blindness today at 1-800-BLINDNESS for a free packet on reversing or managing AMD. Or go to the website fightblindness.org where I found so much helpful information. Or again, call 1-800-BLINDNESS today. America, bless God. Fellow Americans, your hearing this admonition establishes that you are one who cares for the America that has been so blessed by Almighty God. We implore you to embrace the laws of nature and of nature's God, to read and know the Constitution. Join with other moral and religious people and organizations to foster the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. America, bless God.
Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA, enjoying a pleasant break. I'm glad you have time to spend part of your day with me. I know it's awfully busy out there. Every time I drive the short distance from my office to the station here, it amazes me how much traffic there is. Of course, that is sort of the school day time frame that I am driving, so I've that's kind of that's got something to do with it. But still, it's it's almost like it never really slows down. One thing interesting about Chico, it seems like most everybody does take lunch between noon and one, for whatever reason. Well, to eat lunch, of course. But I do notice that I can actually hear the traffic on Mangrove, and when I hear it backing up and stacking up like that, I know it's between noon and one, and I, every time I hear that, I look at my watch, and yep, it's between noon and one. That's how we, that's how we roll in Chico. So, for the last part of the segment here, the last segment of the show, it's such a nice day. I just feel like mellowing out for a little while until I get back to my desk and face a pile of work, which is is good. I would be depressed if I wasn't busy during February. And I'm going to read part of one of my favorite books called The Power of Now. You've probably heard of Eckhart Tolle. This section is called, well, the overall section is called Portals into the Unmanifested. And this section is called The True Nature of Space and Time. Remember, he's not a physicist. So I'm going to read this. Now consider this. If there were nothing but silence, it wouldn't exist for you. You wouldn't know what it is. Only when sound appears does silence come into being. Similarly, if there were only space without any objects in space, it wouldn't exist for you. Imagine yourself as a point of consciousness floating in the vastness of space. No stars, no galaxies, just emptiness. Suddenly, space wouldn't be vast anymore. It would not be there at all. There would be no speed, no movement from here to there. At least two points of reference are needed for distance and space to come into being. Space comes into being the moment the one becomes two, and as two becomes the ten thousand things, as Lao Tse called the manifested world. Space becomes more and more vast. So world and space arise simultaneously. Nothing could be without space, yet space is nothing. Before the universe came into being, before the Big Bang, if you like, There wasn't a vast empty space waiting to be filled. There was no space, as there was no thing. There was only the unmanifested, the one. When the one became the ten thousand things, suddenly space seemed to be there and enabled the many to be. Where did it come from? Was it created by God to accommodate the universe? Of course not. Space is no thing, so it was never created. Go out on a clear night and look up at the sky. The thousands of stars you can see with the naked eye are no more than an infinitesimal fraction of what is there. One thousand million galaxies can already be detected with the most powerful telescopes, each galaxy an island universe containing thousands of millions of stars. Yet what is even more awe-inspiring is the infinity of space itself, the depth and stillness that allows all of that magnificence to be. Nothing could be more awe-inspiring and majestic than the inconceivable vastness and stillness of space. And yet, what is it? Emptiness, vast emptiness. What appears to us as space in our universe 
perceived through the mind and the senses, is the unmanifested itself externalized. It is the body of God, and the greatest miracle is this, that stillness and vastness that enables the universe to be is not just out there in space, it is also within you. When you are utterly and totally present, you encounter it as the still inner space of no mind. Within you it is vast in depth, not in extension. Spatial extension is ultimately a misperception of infinite depth, an attribute of the one transcendental reality. This book is based on question and answer. So the question in the book is, at this point, is according to Einstein, space and time are not separate. I don't really understand it, but I think he is saying that time is the fourth dimension of space. He calls it the space-time continuum. Yes, what you perceive externally as space and time are ultimately illusory, but they contain a core of truth. They are the two essential attributes of God, infinity and eternity, perceived as if they had an external existence outside you. Within you, both space and time have an inner equivalent that reveals their true nature as well as your own. Whereas space is the still, infinitely deep realm of no mind, the inner equivalent of time is presence, awareness of the eternal, now. Remember that there is no distinction between them. When space and time are realized within as the unmanifested, no mind and presence, external space and time continue to exist for you, but they become much less important. The world, too, continues to exist for you, but it will not bind you anymore. Hence, the ultimate purpose of the world lies not within the world, but in transcendence of the world. Just as you would not be conscious of space if there were no objects in space, the world is needed for the unmanifested to be realized. You may have heard the Buddhist saying, if there were no illusion, there would be no enlightenment. It is through the world and ultimately through you that the unmanifested knows itself. You are here to enable the divine purpose of the universe to unfold. That is how important you are. Apart from dreamless sleep, which I mentioned already, there is one other involuntary portal. It opens up briefly at the time of physical death. Even if you have missed all the other opportunities for spiritual realization during your lifetime, one last portal will open up for you immediately after the body has died. There are countless accounts by people who had a visual impression of this portal as radiant light and then returned from what is commonly known as a near-death experience. Many of them also spoke of a sense of blissful eternity and deep peace. In the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it is described as the luminous splendor of the colorless light of emptiness, which it says is your own true self. This portal opens up very briefly, and unless you have already encountered the dimension of the unmanifested in your lifetime, you will likely miss it. Most people carry too much residual resistance, too much fear, too much attachment to sensory experience, too much identification with the manifested world. So they see the portal, turn away in fear, and then lose consciousness. Most of what happens after that is involuntary and automatic. Eventually, there will be another round of birth and death. Their presence wasn't strong enough yet for conscious immortality. And the question at this point in the book is, so going through this portal does not mean annihilation? As with all the other portals, your radiant true nature remains, but not the personality. In any case, whatever is real or of true value in your personality 
is your true nature shining through. This is never lost. Nothing that is of value, nothing that is real is ever lost. Approaching death and death itself, the dissolution of the physical form is always a great opportunity for spiritual realization. This opportunity is tragically missed most of the time since we live in a culture that is almost totally ignorant of death and is almost totally ignorant of anything that truly matters. Every portal is a portal of death, the death of the false self. When you go through it, you cease to derive your identity from your psychological mind-made form. You then realize that death is an illusion just as your identification with form was an illusion. The end of illusion, that's all that death is. It is painful only as long as you cling to illusion. So that's something to think about. So I'm going to read a little more of this because I'm, this is my, this is my time during a weekday in February to actually just kind of take a break and, and mellow out. So I hope you're able to do the same for a little while. So I'm going a little further in the, the chapter about enlightened relationships and it's called give up the relationship with yourself. And the question is when one is fully conscious, would one still have a need for a relationship? Would a man still feel drawn to a woman? Would a woman still feel incomplete without a man? And his answer is, enlightened or not, you are either a man or a woman, so on the level of your form identity, you are not complete. You are one half of the whole. This incompleteness is felt as male-female attraction. The pull toward the opposite energy polarity, no matter how conscious you are. But in that state of interconnectedness, you feel this pull somewhere on the surface or periphery of your life. Anything that happens to you in that state feels somewhat like that. The whole world seems like waves or ripples on the surface of a vast and deep ocean. You are that ocean, and of course you are also a ripple, but a ripple that has realized its true identity as the ocean. And compared to that vastness and depth, the world of waves and ripples is not all that important. This does not mean that you don't relate deeply to other people or to your partner. In fact, you can relate deeply only if you are conscious of being. Coming from being, you are able to focus beyond the veil of form. In being, male and female are one. Your, fame may, your form may continue to have certain needs, but being has none. It is already complete and whole. If those needs are met, that is beautiful. But whether or not they are met makes no difference to your deep inner state. So it is perfectly possible for an enlightened person if the need for the male-female polarity is not met, to feel a sense of lack or incompleteness on the outer level of his or her being, yet at the same time be totally complete, fulfilled, and at peace within. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then he goes on to say, if you cannot be at ease with yourself when you are alone, you will seek a relationship to cover up your unease. You can be sure that the unease will then reappear in some other form within the relationship, and you will probably hold your partner responsible for it. All you really need to do is accept this moment fully. You are then at ease in the here and now and at ease with yourself. But do you need to have a relationship with yourself at all? Why can't you just be yourself? When you have a relationship with yourself, you have split yourself into two, I and myself, subject and object. That mind-created duality is the root cause of all unnecessary complexity of all problems and conflict in your life. In the state of enlightenment, you are yourself. You and yourself merge into one. 
You do not judge yourself. You do not feel sorry for yourself. You are not proud of yourself. You do not love yourself. You do not hate yourself, and so on. The split caused by self-reflective consciousness is healed, its curse removed. There is no self that you need to protect, defend, or feed anymore. When you are enlightened, there is one relationship that you no longer have, the relationship with yourself. Once you have given that up, all your other relationships will be love relationships. Then in chapter 9, he's, which is titled Beyond Happiness and Unhappiness, There is Peace. And it says, Is there a difference between happiness and inner peace? And he answers, Yes. Happiness depends on conditions being perceived as positive. Inner peace does not. And then the next question is, Is it not possible to attract only positive conditions into our life? If our attitude and our thinking are always positive, we would manifest only positive events and situations, wouldn't we? And by the way, that kind of reminds me of that law of attraction thing. And he answers this way. Do you truly know what is positive and what is negative? Do you have the total picture? There have been many people for whom limitation, failure, loss, illness, or pain in whatever form turned out to be their greatest teacher. It taught them to let go of false self-images and superficial ego-dictated goals and desires. It gave them depth, humility, and compassion. It made them more real. Whenever anything negative happens to you, there is a deep lesson concealed within it, although you may not see it at the time. Even a brief illness or an accident can show you what is real and unreal in your life, what ultimately matters and what doesn't. Seen from a higher perspective, conditions are always positive. To be more precise, they are neither positive nor negative. They are as they are. And when you live in complete acceptance of what is, which is the only sane way to live, there is no good or bad in your life anymore. There is only a higher good, which includes the bad. Seen from the perspective of the mind, however, there is good, bad, like, dislike, love, hate. Hence, in the book of Genesis, it is said that Adam and Eve were no longer allowed to dwell in paradise when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So that's going to wrap up today's business buzz. I think that's a that's one of the better one pages in that book. So if you can remember that when you think something's bad or good, just remember it's just that's the way it is. It'll get rid of a lot of that judging that you do all day. And I try, I try to do as little of that as possible. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll see you next time on Business Buzz. Thanks for listening. KKXX, Paradise. K280GL, Chico. And K283AR, Chico. Power from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. President Trump has announced several new pardons and commutations. White House correspondent Greg Clugston reports. The president commuted the 14-year prison sentence of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. He had served almost eight years after being found guilty of crimes that included seeking to sell an appointment to Barack Obama's old Senate seat. Mr. Trump also granted clemency to financier Michael Milken and pardoned former NYPD Commissioner Bernie Carrick. Earlier, he pardoned former NFL owner Edward DeBartolo for his conviction in a gambling scandal. Greg Clugston, 
the White House. Top Republican lawmakers are voicing their support for Attorney General William Barr. In a rare joint statement, House and Senate Republicans are voicing support for A.G. Barr amid recent criticism over decisions involving Trump associates. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham, and House Republican Leader Kevin McCarthy all signed on to the statement, calling Barr a man of the highest character. Barr's been under fire since just last week. The DOJ sought a lighter sentence than recommended by federal regulators for Trump associate Roger Stone, who was convicted of witness tampering and lying to Congress. Bob Agnew reporting. Arrived by hundreds of sex abuse lawsuits, the Boy Scouts of America filed for bankruptcy protection today in the hopes of working out a potentially mammoth victim compensation plan. The bankruptcy represents a painful turn for an organization that has been a pillar of American civic life for generations. It also protects the 110-year-old Boy Scouts, at least for now, from all the lawsuits from thousands of men who say as scouts they were molested. The bankruptcy petition lists assets between $1 billion and $10 billion in liabilities at $500 million to $1 billion. I'm Julie Walker. On Wall Street, the Dow down by 165 points. The Nasdaq rose one. The S&P declined nine. More on these stories at townhall.com. If your family depends on your income and something happened to you, what would happen to them? You need life insurance, and SelectQuote can help you get it at a price you can afford. SelectQuote found Jacob, 40, who's in excellent health, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $19 a month. Not in perfect health? Don't worry. SelectQuote found Tanya, 40, who has type 2 diabetes, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $32 a month. We shop companies like Protective, Prudential, American General, and others to find you the company with the best rates. Give your family the security they need at a price you can afford. For your free quote, call 1-800-880-7474. That's 1-800-880-7474. Or go to selectquote.com. That's 1-800-880-7474. Select quote. We shop, you save. Get full details of